This is a call to actions results based radio. Today is February 26, 2017, and our, the hosts today are going to be myself, Kimberly Schultz, and Bobby Vaughn Jr., and our guest, returning guest, Judy Byington. Uh, we are going to cover the subjects of the global elite international pedophile rings, Pizzagate, and the CIA black budget. Um, Judy, you've been dealing with this field for quite some time. Um, could you give us a little background on how you, you know, got, became focused on this area? I was a therapist for uh, like 23 years and had several people come into my office who, at the time, I didn't realize were dissociated. Uh, but they would say things like, I can't remember my childhood and... Uh, I think I've been abused, but I can't remember it, things like that. It wasn't until after I I had to retire early as a therapist because I had an ill child and I had to take care of her. Um, and at that time, there were some women who knew that I was um, retired and they had been ritually abused. Uh, maybe I better define ritual abuse before we get into this too much. Ritual abuse is... Uh, a, a satanic uh, phenomenon where they take uh, children off on their own and they will abuse them from very early ages, uh, sometimes even in the womb. And because the abuse will cause their thinking patterns to, to separate into uh, different personalities, and then they will use those personalities to control that person throughout their life. And the common abuse is sexual abuse, uh, usually by the father who's involved in this. Uh, these uh, two women, they were actually cousins, uh, came to me and asked me for help. One of their fathers was on uh, trial here in Utah for uh, sexual abuse of, of one, of, one of his children. Uh, yet this woman who... Uh, was the oldest child in the family, had been abused by him her whole life, had seen murders, had uh, been sexually abused by him and her uncle, who was the father of the other uh, cousin that came to me. And the uh, Utah Attorney General, even though they had him under, um, uh, under uh, in a trial situation, they uh, would not bring in the ritual abuse stuff. And so they came to me and asked me if I would help them gather some information to give uh, to these um, uh, special investigators that the Utah uh, State had hired. What happened is that back in 1990, uh, the LDS Church did a study on uh, women who had come into their LDS counseling services and claimed that they were ritually abused. And there were uh, many, many that came in. And so the LDS Church decided to do a study to find out what was going on. At the same time, the state of Utah was also alarmed because there were many therapists and detectives in the state that were getting some of the same complaints yeah. that uh, 
these women, mainly women, were uh, claiming that they had been ritually abused all through childhood and um, wanted protection. So they, they spent about a year, and both the state of Utah did a study and the LDS Church did a study, and they came out uh, with some of the same perpetrators and some of the same facts. Because of that, they hired these satanic ritual abuse investigators at the uh, Utah Attorney General's office. And one of their first arrests was the uh, father of these men, women who came to me. And even though they had arrested him for the information they had found about the ritual abuse, they were refusing to uh, prosecute him on it. And so they wanted uh, me to help them uh, get evidence to the state of Utah. So I spent about a year or so with them <clears throat> going to different uh, places where they claimed to have been abused and uh, gathering information. And then I uh, took it up to the Utah uh, special investigators. And the whole bottom line is they ended up uh, not using it in court. Uh, the man got off on a quirk of the law and he's still out there doing his thing. Uh, but at that time, <clears throat> I started to get other ritual abuse survivors come to me and ask, asking for help. And uh, through uh, the information that I was gathering, I took it to different uh, legal entities. Uh, and through uh, an FBI um, inquiry I made, uh, I met Jenny Hill and uh, ended up uh, writing her biography, 22 Faces. <clears throat> and Jenny Hill, um, her abuse started basically a year after they claimed MK Ultra was closed. Correct, back in 1965. Uh -huh. At the age of six. Um, I watched her share with you in an interview last night um, about how her experience of seeing another child killed while she was being tortured the same and it is so disturbing I mean that this stuff goes on I just bawled my eyes out last night it just it's so hard to to know that this kind of stuff is going on um, and the whole reason that we're talking today is to expose this so that we can help be part of putting an end to it um, I just wanted to put that part out there Bobby had something to say yeah, this is something that I've never heard before. Of course, I've heard about abuse, child abuse and, and rape before, but I've never heard, never even thought that an infant, a, a, an unborn human, could be abused inside of the womb. That, that's really unfamiliar uh, for me. Like, how would, how would somebody do that, and why would someone want to do that? Like I say, the purpose is to control the individual for the, their entire life. They um, they use electrical shock uh, to do that to uh, you know to uh, traumatize the child in the womb, and it's it's quite a, an effective technique. Unfortunately, I I've talked to survivors who literally have thousands of different thinking patterns as a result of using that technique. Uh, see, dissociative identity disorder, which is another diagnosis for uh, multiple personality disorder, is the accepted diagnosis now, uh, is actually um, the same thing almost as 
post-traumatic stress and uh, just normal daydreaming. Uh, think of it on a scale. You have daydreaming on one end of the scale and post-traumatic stress kind of in the middle, which happens generally to uh, people who are in war-type traumatized situation. And then on the other end, you have multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder. DID uh, is known to only occur with children because as the brain of the child develops, um, you know, cells separate and they they die and do various functions as, as the child is developing. And that is why they're able to, that is the reason why they do this to children is because they can actually separate those uh, thinking patterns with a child, where it, as in post-traumatic stress, you know, the brain is already developed and then the trauma is just um, repressed. Um, one of the ways to explain it is to think of your mind as a tree and the trunk of that tree is your core personality. And then you have various experiences that you think of around all these different branches of the tree. Well, as, as a child develops they, and they go through trauma, they repress those memories. So it's like that branch is no longer attached to the tree, but it's still there. Uh, but yet the, 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 the memory is repressed. And those memories will not come back until 20, 30, 40 years later when the person is in a safe situation. That's the, that's the wonderful way that our brain works in order to protect us is to repress those memories so that the child can function in an everyday environment. Um, Would you want to give us uh, any pointers? What are some of the signs to look for in an individual that's being raped or trafficked or a victim of satanic ritual abuse? Would, would they all have similar symptoms or would they be different? Say if someone was raped or if someone was trafficked or the victim of satanic ritual abuse. Well, with a child, I think they're generally the same. They're usually very shy, uh, non-social children. Uh, they're afraid of um, common things, you know, like during their abuse, uh, they may have, um, the perpetrator may have been wearing a certain color, you know, of clothing. And so just seeing that color will traumatize them. Um, one of the general characteristics is that they'll, say they can't remember and it's not just a a situation where they you know like we forget things all the time but they honestly cannot bring memories back um in the book 22 faces uh, that i wrote about uh, the biography of denny hill um that's portrayed quite um quite plainly in that book where she's she, as a six-year, uh, as a kindergartner, she's walking to school, and all of a sudden she's at school, and she can't remember uh, the time from when she left her house to when she got on the play yard. Well, in between uh, those two situations was a house where she was being abused after kindergarten every day, and so her mind just flipped out and went into a different personality in order to get her body past that house and over to a safe situation. So that's one of the common characteristics is that they um, can't remember or they're, they, they will actually go into different altars, uh, you know, as, as you're talking to them. Um, 
as I've talked with some people who have uh, multiple personalities, um, they some of them claim that they don't have a core personality. They have to, as you ask them questions, they have to kind of think in their own minds. You know, they have to talk to their different alters and see which alter is going to answer the question. So they'll hesitate, you know, as you're talking to them. And what they're doing is they're trying to bring forth the altar that has the answer to that particular question you're talking to them about. So that's another characteristic. But generally, it's a child who's very afraid of uh, very um, normal things. They'll, they'll be afraid of them. Um, they, they'll have um, various situations where they can't remember and they honestly can't remember they cannot bring up the memory of of normal everyday things just because another altar has taken over during that period of time and that altar isn't present you know during the time you're talking to them jenny in particular um her her father was one of her abusers her father was uh she claims her father was her main abuser yes okay but then this house that she was going to, was, was that where she had other abusers going on as well? Uh, there were uh, two boys, and, and this is uh, pointed out, and you can go to my website, uh, 22faces.com, and read the first three chapters of the book. And in that, it'll, it'll uh, talk about this particular situation. But there were uh, two teenage boys that were being, um, that were programmed, they call it mind control programming, and they were programming her, but also at the house was this person that she called the old man. Uh, we later referred to him as Dr. Green or Greenbaum, who was a CIA agent um, who uh, was in charge of the CIA mind control program. And, and many different survivors have now um, said that this he was their perpetrator. But he was there. Uh, he would sexually abuse her. The boys would sexually abuse her. They would uh, do various torture techniques to her um, after, you know, she would, she would, you know, be walking home from school and they would bring her into their house and they would use various techniques on her and then they would send her home. And, and as she would uh, be tortured, her altars would take over to take the memories of those tortures and then they would press them. And so by the time she left the house and got back to her old home, she would have no memory of, of this uh, abuse that she had gone through. This Dr. Green um, is showing up in many different places, Dr. Green, Greenbaum, or otherwise known as Joseph Mengele. Yeah, they're actually, um, Mengele, um, of course, is quite famous with the Nazi concentration camps, but uh, he was... Uh, known as Dr. Green, and he was the main uh, Dr. Green, but there were also other people who they called Dr. Green. Uh, some actually they called Dr. White or Dr. Blue or whatever, uh, and they were different people than Dr. Green, but they were all in the same uh, MK Ultra mind control program. And so, um, but there was a specific Dr. Green that Jenny um claims was her perpetrator, and she describes him as short, with balding brown hair, um, walked with a limp, and had a cane. And interesting enough, that's the same person that uh, is talked about in what they call the Greenbaum speech. Uh, Dr. Corridon Hammond is a PhD psychologist 
who has studied uh, multiple personalities for many, many years. And I can't remember the year, but many years ago, he was asked to speak at a psychiatric conference uh, back in Washington, D.C. And at that conference, he gave what is called the Greenbaum speech. And you can find that on the Internet. But in that Greenbaum speech, he talks, he describes uh, some, he describes different descriptions that different survivors have given on their perpetrators of Dr. Green. And one of those descriptions is the same description that Jenny gave uh, as a, a man with balding brown hair, walked with a limp and um, carried a German accent and carried a cane. Um, so that's how we found out that Jenny's perpetrator uh, was a Dr. Greenbaum. So this, you know, basically this mind control program came over uh, to the United States through Project Paperclip and then um, went into MKUltra, which is the mind control yes, program. Yes, uh, Project Paperclip was the program they used to bring these Nazis into the U.S. and then MKUltra is the program that evolved after they got here to uh, mind control these children. All right. What better way to try and get away with crimes against humanity than to assume the role of a supposed humanitarian position of government? Correct. Uh, yeah, the, the CIA, I believe, was formed for the specific uh, purpose of, of, of MKUltra and traumatizing these children and supposedly creating assassins and super spies. I, I think the program failed miserably. Uh, they've had two congressional hearings on it, and neither one, the results were released to the public, but there are a couple of videos on the internet of, of some survivors who testified at, at, at the 1995 hearing. Um, uh, one was um, Christine Nicola, and the other was Claudia Mullen, and they give very dramatic testimonies. And in those testimonies that you can see on the internet, they will uh, talk about the same type of torture that Jenny went through. And, and all the funding for, for these types of projects, um, you know, torturing and raping and just completely dismantling of the human psyche are paid for by the United States tax dollars. And, and and each year, each year, the intelligence community gets a, a certain certain budget for uh, 2017. Just the CIA, which receives a huge chunk of uh, of the budget, is expected to have a 15 billion dollar budget for this year. And even if one billion dollars of that 15 billion dollars is going towards it, that's sickening. Well, it, it, when Claudia Mullen testified back in 1995 in the video, she states that she was a child uh, that Dr. Greenbaum was um, abusing, and uh, she had a cage that they put near his office. And one day they left the uh, door open to the cage, and she got out, and she was rummaging through some papers in his office. And she came across uh, some... Um, papers that were uh, entitled the CIA Science Division, CIA Office of Research Development, mm -hmm. and it showed where they had given Dr. Green $50 million to run this uh, MKO Ultra program. Wow. And that was back in 1995. That was one year. 
Um, and as far as I know, this program is still going on. Right. Pri private doctors. Yeah, and, that's, and that's just one. Mm -hmm. Well, just looking at the, the ages, um, Claudia mentioned it was the age of seven, Jenny the age of six, and then um, I don't know how old Kathy O'Brien was at the time that it started. Uh, Kathy O'Brien claims to be um, uh, abused from a very early age. And she was uh, one of the uh, witnesses at these hearings also. Yeah, the me media refused to cover it. And so she right. wrote her book, right. Transformation of America. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Jenny and others uh, testified to two congressional committees about her abuse by the CIA. Both committees investigated the matter, but refused to release the results of the investigation. Well, think about who she's, who's, you know, going to be responsible, Reagan, Bush, Clintons, Dick Cheney. I mean, you I'll think that they're going to just clean house? And now, if, if the results were released, the entire system would collapse because high-level government officials are involved and they would be arrested and put in prison. The entire system would collapse. And in the name of national security, they could not release the investigation results. Well, hopefully this was what the Pizzagate... Uh... Uh, situation will evolve into uh, that as WikiLeaks is releasing some of this information on Pizzagate and it's just going to blow everybody's mind and, and hopefully some of these people will be arrested and tried for for what they're doing. Yeah, the so way we're going to save these children, you know, this abuse is still going on. Yeah, um, just by judging patterns, it uh, looks like something is really going to be done about this one because it, it hasn't even been a year yet since the Pizzagate uh, proof has come out. And we're already feeling a really potent first wave. Just wait for the second and beyond. Well, even just even the things that have happened in the last couple of days. I mean, you had um, Trump had a meeting about anti-human trafficking. Um, and Ashton Kutcher came forward about the, about the human trafficking. Well, a, lot, a lot of people are. You know, that was really exciting to see. And one of the first things Trump did when he got into office, uh, he had the inauguration on Friday. On Saturday morning, he was at the CIA office uh, mm -hmm. talking to them and telling them that none of this was going to go on anymore, uh, that he was firing anybody found involved, and he was going to hire, I think it was a 1,000 new agents. So I was really... Uh, happy and surprised and elated that Trump had that much interest in in helping this situation. Yeah, we'll just have to keep our eyes on him because we know how presidents can be, right? Well, let's hope that we get a president that can actually do something and wants to do something because all this has been swept under a rug for far too long. Way too long. It's been going on since since humans have been here. No, we don't really it was actually going on before World War II. Yeah. Uh, I heard that it started during World War One up in Canada. There's a very close connection, by the way, between uh, the Canadian elite government officials and the Canadian, uh, the U.S. government officials and the Canadian uh, government officials in in this uh, child international child kidnapping ring. There seems to be hot spots. Um, one is uh, the Netherlands. Another one is the UK, uh, the US, of course, uh, Canada, and Australia. Those appear to be, oh, and the Holland, you know, the Netherlands, the Holland, and those 
areas up there. That seems to be the hot spots where these elites um, are able to function. Of course, at the Vatican also. So and you, you mentioned the Ninth Circle in one of your articles about <laughs> yeah them running this uh, criminal drug syndicate octopus. And I, I wanted to bring that up because Fiona Barnett, at the age of three, was um, was satanically ritually abused by Nicole Kidman's father, who magically dies after she comes out, one month after she comes out to uh, share that information. Yes, Fiona's uh, done some wonderful articles and writings on that. Um, I think uh, I sent you some links to, to some of her articles. Uh, she's over in Australia, and uh, she was uh, abused at an early age uh, by uh, Dr. Kidman, Anthony Kidman. Uh, he was her controller. Uh, but Fiona is one of those, and, and this is very typical of ritual abuse survivors, that they're actually born into this uh, as children. And it was her grandfather that was um, one of these Nazis that were placed in Australia after the war. And uh, so she was born into it. Uh, but she has written, um, she's done an awful lot for ritual abuse survivors. Uh, she's gone before the commissions there. And, and it, when she went before the commission there in Australia is, is right after that is when uh, Dr. Kidman suddenly quit his, I think he'd been there for 20, 30 years. He was a, a professor at a university there. And he suddenly takes leave and uh, goes over to visit his daughter. Um, I think it was in the Philippines or some area like that. And then within a week of being over there, he suddenly has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. Uh, this, this, by the way, heart attack seems to be uh, very typical of some of these people who, uh, perpetrators who get uh, caught or, or get accused of things, and then all of a sudden they have a heart attack and die. Seems to be quite a technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention that um, not only were, was she did she name her grandfather Kidman, but also two former Australian prime ministers, a Parliament House Governor General, and a state police commissioner. Um, so it's it, as you can see the patterns. It's these higher up government officials that not only are involved in it, know about it, but they're part of the perpetration. And another pattern I found is that where the abuse takes place, uh, Fiona claimed that uh, one of the places that she was abused was the uh, Australian Hollingsworthy Army Base, mm. which is the same army base that Tost Nienhaus also claimed to be abused. Tos Ninhas was one of the first um, survivors that came forth for this for these international trials that Kevin Annette set up over in Brussels, and uh, she was uh, abused by some very higher up uh, global elites. But at one point in her childhood, she was taken to this uh, army base in Australia and abused there which is the same place that Fiona Barnett claimed to have been abused also. They, they seem to have certain locations uh, where they will take these children, and they're all set up uh, to abuse them, and they, they are connected with the various governments, which is absolutely appalling. And, and she also mentioned um, this human hunting, um, where I, I read a little bit about it, where she... Mm -hmm. 
go ahead, I'll let you expand upon that. Yes, when she was six years old for her sixth birthday, uh, they took her to uh, uh, a, a place out in the woods. Uh, well, actually, I think she told me it was a, a, a private estate. And uh, they drugged her, and she woke up naked on a table. And they had some other children there, and they told her that unless she saved these children, they were going to kill them. And all the children were naked, and they had some hunting dogs. And uh, then they told the children to run because, you know, they were going to kill them. And uh, they told her that unless, you know, she saved the children, that, you know, she and all the children would be killed. So they go running up, and I think they only made it up to the second hill before they started shooting these little kids. And then she just uh, ran for her life. And But that was her sixth birthday party from her grandfather. See, we, we understand that, you know, government agencies, people high up in high positions are the perpetrators. But do we have any names just for anyone who hasn't looked past the Pope? Uh, well, the only names I have are names that, you know, various victims have you know, told me were their perpetrators, and of course, it's never been through court or anything, except for what Kevin Annette is doing. Kevin Annette is an ex-pastor from Canada who became involved with the Indian tribes up there uh, when he was, uh, you know, first got out of uh, pastoral school, and he found out that these Indian uh, children were being uh, forcefully put in the uh, residential schools up there, and they had residential schools all across Canada. I'm talking thousands and thousands of children. Um, and he looked into this quite uh, for, for a lot of years and tried to get uh, the situations into court because the children were literally being raped and murdered and all kinds of things were going on in these residential schools. Uh, because the uh, Canadian government was trying to eliminate the Indian tribes because they wanted their land. And they were also involved in the MKUltra up there uh, with these mind control experiments. And there's many, many uh, victim stories about what's going on up there. But Kevin Annette wasn't able to get it into the, uh, into the courts in Canada, so he went over to uh, the international, uh, went to the UN and over to the international court, and he got involved with a, a, a legal attorney's office in uh, New York, and they set up uh, some international trials over in uh, Brussels. And for three years, he uh, brought in uh, different witnesses, and tossed, this Toss Ninjas was one of them, and uh, he also had the... Anne-Marie, I can't explain her last name, is B-L-I-J-N-B-R-E. Anyway, she was the spouse of a mafia boss, and uh, she was a, another witness over there that went in, and they tried uh, various global elites. So one was uh, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, the Pope, and it's interesting, the uh, week... Uh, a week before they announced the results of his trial, of course, they found him guilty, um, was when he resigned. 
uh, from office and then uh, the other uh, pope went in, but um, they tried uh, Queen Elizabeth and uh, Prince Philip. Uh, the witnesses, there were witnesses to them back in 1964 where they took 10 children from the Kamloops uh, Residential School in Alberta. And uh, what happened is they went to the school and they invited some children for a picnic and then they selected 10 children from that picnic and uh, left with them and the, nobody ever saw the children again. And the parents are still asking that where their children are and they've never been seen since 1964. And, that, and so there was a trial on this uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip and they had several witnesses that had been to the picnic uh, that testified of the trial. And it's interesting, I think there were three or four witnesses that actually died before they were able to testify before the court, but they did get their video testimonies. They used them in court. Uh, but uh, witnesses disappear when they try to go up against these global elites. So there's a, there's a line here of of a process. Sounds like a step by step process that they get off doing. First, they kidnap. They they pray. Go out and pray. They kidnap. They ritually, satanically abuse them. Possibly they hunt them. <clears throat> They murder them, <clears throat> to sacrifice them. Do they eat them afterwards? Are they cannibals? Uh, the the uh, typical satanic ceremony is that they will uh, torture the child. Uh, there's a lot of sexual abuse. There's usually a, an orgy that they have maybe a day before or a couple hours before the actual ceremony uh, where they'll... Uh, you know, traumatize the children, and, and there's a lot of sexual abuse that goes on. And then at the actual ceremony themselves, it'll be a formal satanic ceremony where they're dressed in black robes and have makeup on their eyes. And this is all described in 22 Faces. Um, this, uh, Jenny is brought to a specific uh, ceremony on, on June the 21st, uh, 1965, where she sees this other child killed. Um, but there'll be an actual ceremony where they'll, well, they torture these children on altars. They'll kill them. They'll eat the hearts. They'll, you know, drink the blood. They'll have an. I've heard uh, other places where they've had formal dinners where they've sat down and and cooked the bodies and and then brought them out, and made other children, you know, participate in the eating, and then they'll use this trauma against the the other children that aren't killed uh, but they'll use the trauma of what they've been through to say you know you participated in the murder of this child and so therefore you know you're going to be uh, controlled for life by us or, or we'll just turn you over to authorities for you know uh, for murdering other other children and uh, of course a child will uh, submit to that because they have no control over their life at that point but yes they're they're very formal uh, ceremonies and and usually after the, from what the the survivors have said within a, at least an hour of the ceremony there'll be no evidence left whatsoever that, that, that there's been a murder there you know the um, the bodies will be disposed of they'll be burned the bones will be chopped up in in uh, machines that are made to do that 
uh, they'll sprinkle them, you know, elsewhere. They'll, you know, uh, there's just all kinds of way to get rid of the body so that they'll there there won't be any evidence that it even happened. And when you have the parents involved um, of the child involved who's murdered, uh, then you have no way to really, you know, take a good look at the case because uh, everybody's involved in in the in the murder itself. So children can disappear without without a trace, literally, and have done so evidently for hundreds of years. I read that, um, you know, Jenny was praying um, during the time of her abuse and that, you know, thinks that that may have well been why she was, um, she saw this white light come and um, prevent her from being killed. Um, did she yes, get Jenny's that? story is very inspirational to me. Um, she was a very spiritual person as a child. She, um, that was the only person she could turn to, you know, during her abuse was, you know, her her uh, siblings and her mother didn't believe that she was being abused and her father was the abuser. And so she didn't have anybody in the family she could turn to, but she was able to go to church and she didn't learn about her spiritual self and she used prayer throughout her life. Uh, if you read 22 Faces, you'll you'll see the many times that she used prayer to get her through a lot of situations. But when she was taken to this uh, satanic ceremony and tied to that altar, she was supposed to be one of the, it was supposed to be a dual sacrifice. And Jenny claims that uh, after, you know, this little Kathleen Shea was killed, um, there was a white light and she describes it as the feet of a person. Uh, she was on an altar, so all she could see was, was the feet um, that appeared. And because this uh, appearance came into this, you know, very dark and black ceremony, it scared the other uh, people there, and they shut down the ceremony right there and, and got her out and, and took her back home. Uh, but it's very interesting, um, and I'll, I won't talk about this because it's kind of uh, the climax of the book at the end, um, but there was another person at that ceremony that also described to me that white light. Wow. Wow. And she just recently um, passed away, um, I guess. Um, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, God bless her soul for... You know, being able to heal the best that she could and to help all these, you know, other children come forward. I mean, when you see the patterns, you know, you, you can't deny this is going on. It's not some conspiracy. These are different children in different places having, you know, similar, very similar experiences, which is. You know, Jenny had a very spiritual side to her and one of the things that I really admired about her was her ability to forgive mm. she didn't carry all this hate towards her abusers throughout her life she she was able to forgive them and therefore she didn't carry the weight of that hate mm. um, that I've had to see other survivors carry and I, I really admired her for that her ability to forgive other people um, 
And but I've heard these stories about um, spiritual beings appearing from other survivors too. Um, you know, where angels come during their abuse and carry them through the abuse. And um, uh, generally, survivors are very, very spiritual people because that's the only person that they can rely on. They have nobody else to go to to, to help them. So um, I, I think they, they're a very special class of people who Heavenly Father looks after. How many, are, how many victims are there per year estimated? Uh, I, I don't really have any idea. I know that there's some studies out. Uh, there's, uh, I think it's 2007, there was a, uh, they call it an extreme abuse survey that you can find on the internet. It's very extensive. It's, uh, they surveyed uh, survivors all over the world. And um, I can't really remember the figures from that, but I do know that there's a very uh, large organization called the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Disassociation, ISSTD, and they have several hundred therapists who all they do is treat ritual abuse survivors. Um, and it's a very large international organization. Uh, I'm just talking about the ones here in the, U the U.S., but um, it's very well known among the, the professionals what's going on. Um, but as far as I, I've heard, an estimate of two percent of the population. So more, so more than likely, it's happening in every city in the U.S. Oh, definitely, definitely, it's all over, it's everywhere. So this recent um, Pedo Gate and Pizza Gate, um, you know, I, I've heard the rumblings of you know this these systematic. Um, sexual abuse and human sacrifice stuff, but to put names on it. So this Pizzagate is a part of a larger international pedogate? Uh, that's what some people have labeled it, yes. Pedogate is considered the international problem and Pizzagate is considered the one in the U.S. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the Pizzagate is pertaining to a certain family, the uh, Podestas and their uh, little pizza ring. It's possible, I mean, more than likely, actually, it, it's more than just possible that there are other type, other gates. If we exposed them, they would become a case. They would become a pedophile case. So, like, it's possible that McDonald's play places are involved. Who knows? It could, it could be happening anywhere. It could be, and, and we really don't know. They're so cunning in what they do. Uh, they put people in specific places uh, in our government and in the, in the law enforcement and, and other places uh, in the mental health system. Uh, I just uh, heard from a survivor today that uh, found out that this therapist that she's trying to go to uh, is probably, you know, involved in the whole thing. And I find the mental health system very, very frustrating because they will not treat ritual abuse survivors. Um, and they give them a hard time, and it makes you wonder what's really going on in the mental health system for them to do that. Well, it's part of keeping it hush. I mean, if everybody mm -hmm. was, like, truly coming forth with the truth and they had, you know, such a case built up, they can't continue. they got to squash the information before it gets too far. Mm -hmm. And when they're involved in it themselves, you know, they have a lot of uh, energy to try to do that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we should really be looking at the Department of Family Services, um, orphanages, any anything to do with a child that's been abandoned and does not have really any legal parents that can just be bounced around. We should be looking at all of these organizations at, at, at persons and government organizations. It is. Now, I worked in child welfare for many years, for 10 years, and they are some very, very good and dedicated people in that organization. Uh, it just takes one in the administration, uh, you know, to to make the whole place look bad. But I'll, I'll stick up for uh, child welfare. I think uh, for the most part, those people are very dedicated for what they do. The problem is they don't have control. And it's the people that's in control um, that are able to get away with this and cover things up. Uh, I know at least one case I had, for instance, um, had a referral on two little girls who uh, it was suspected that their father was sexually abusing them. I uh, wanted to, you know, pick them up and take them to an evaluation. I was not allowed to. The father uh, had enough um, control that he was able to contact uh, my administration and demand that he be the person to take them uh, to the evaluation. And of course, they didn't find anything at the evaluation because it was the father himself who I'm sure threatened them the whole way there if they said anything. Um, you know, so we, we didn't get them, and um, I was taken off the case, but I advised the, the new caseworker uh, that they ought to put these children in, in shelter and let them be there for a month or so and then take them to an evaluation, and I said, you'll probably get a lot more information. I don't know whatever happened to those two little girls, but that's a typical situation where the perpetrator will use their power to cover up whatever they're doing. I was watching a documentary last night. It was from 1981 on, on um, trafficked, uh, well, boy prostitutes, but it really goes beyond the prostitution that that's all that they know. And that really, when it, when it comes to these perverted rapists and torturers, some of them prefer young boys. And... The reason being is because it's considered forbidden in their mind and they have some a little they have a chemical imbalance in their own mind where they want to do things that are vile and little boys even if the man isn't even homosexual he still prays after little boys and that's just strange to me on a on a you know psychology level I just I don't understand it is an addiction Pedophilia is an addiction and uh, something that, you know, needs treatment, but it's very, very difficult to treat. Uh, I will say one thing about uh, ritual abuse survivors is, that, you know, they grow up um, as children being abused. When they get into their teenage years, they appear to make a decision whether to stay in the coven and stay, you know, continue with these uh, murders and sexual abuse you know, that they're with their whole time and become perpetrators, or they choose to become what we refer to as ritual abuse survivors. And survivors are the ones that say, no more, I'm going to get out of this. 
they run away, they, they seek shelter elsewhere. They're not often able to talk about it or to do anything about it, but at least they get themselves out of the situation where they're no longer abused. So that typically you're saying is more of a teenage year thing. So they're, maybe their mind is, can't handle it as a young one, um, you know, to get away from yeah, it. I, I, by the time they get to be teenagers, they kind of get a feel as to what's going on, whereas children, uh, you know, they're repressing the memories. They don't really understand that they're being abused. But, but by the time they get to be a teenager, they, the, the coven themselves will turn them into perpetrators. And at that point is, is where they appear to make that decision. And that decision is, to me, seems to happen around um, 12, 13 or so, uh, at least from what I've observed from other uh, ritual abuse survivors. Because some of them, you know, have, have gotten away from it, uh, but yet they have siblings that have stayed in it. And but that seems to be about the time that they make those decisions. Um. You mentioned, or I found somewhere that you have an upcoming book called Saint Sinners and Satan. Um, can, is that going to cover this area as well? Uh, that is something that uh, I, I've been working on for some time. Um, I think I'm going to wait until after uh, this Pizzagate things gets out in the open. Uh, the problem with the information that I have is that much of it has not gone into court and much of it can't be proven. And for me to make a bunch of allegations against some very important people is uh, just not reasonable for me, you know, as an author. <clears throat> and so even my own experiences, I've had to be very careful with <clears throat> explaining because the perpetrators <clears throat> have never been charged or, or proven in court. Well, they set it up that way. So I'm gonna, I think I will wait until some of the Pizzagate stuff comes out and starts to go into court, and then I'll be able to release my book, yes. Well, the, um, you know, seeing how WikiLeaks and the stuff is coming out, I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to slow down to me. Definitely not. It looks like it's only going to speed up and get more broad and more coverage. So, right. right. Like, whatever we could do, I mean, do you have any any... Um, suggestions that we could do as, you know, individuals and or groups to help speed that process up? Well, I think the main thing is to educate yourself that it's going on. The fact that these people are able to cover it up keeps it going on. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the more it comes out, the more survivors will come out. And it's the survivors that are going to prove that this is going on. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones that have the testimonies of it. <clears throat> but they... <clears throat> until it starts coming out in the open and more people are made aware of it, uh, they're not going to talk about it. Uh, I think um, grade school teachers could do a whole lot by trying to recognize uh, the abused child and and carrying through on, uh, on referrals uh, to get them some protection. Uh, but I think the main thing is... Um, being able to recognize, first of all, recognize, yes, this is happening. You don't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Um, when these women first came to me, you know, and we spent uh, these couple of years looking into it, and yet nobody around us would believe it, and we, we hit so many uh, closed doors that I literally put my information in a box and put it downstairs underneath the stairs uh, for a couple of years just because I couldn't handle it in my own mind. 
this was going on and yet I couldn't do anything about it. And then as more survivors came to me and, and said, yeah, this is going on and children are being abused right now, I decided I better get out of my hole and, and try and do something about it. So the first thing is to recognize that it's going on. And the second thing is to read everything you can about it. And the third thing, and this probably should be the first thing, is, is to try to find these children who appear to be, uh, to be abused and then do what you can to protect them and save them from it. Is that something, now you have a, don't you have a group? I mean, is there like perhaps any teachers groups out there that could, you know, form or already form that could like get get together with each other and say, hey, these are signs and how, how do we best go about this if we see any of these signs? Um, I don't have a particular organization myself. Uh, I, I limit myself to writing about it and getting out the word that way. But yes, that certainly would be a great idea for uh, trying to educate people in the ed in the educational field about it. Um, but it's even hard to even do that. Uh, you know, you approach a high school, for instance, and want to talk about uh, satanic covens and the dangers of, of uh, teenagers getting into them. And, you know, we, you know, we don't want to talk about that. We want to you know, put it under the cover and, and, you know, that's not going on in our area. Uh, so, you know, educating the general public about it is, is one of the main things, and that's going to be through, you know, uh, information coming out and, and more survivors speaking out about it and more articles being written about it. And the alternative news is great because the mainstream media uh, has been ignoring it for years and will continue to as long as they're controlled by Soros and the other people. Um, yeah. that are actually in this. So if, if these, um, you know, if these teachers um, do see these signs, where would they go? Like protective services, child protection? Well, protective services? services. You know, there are some concerns about protective services, but like I say, for the most part, those workers are very dedicated and, and are trying to protect children and that's their job. And, and that's their main job, and they will, you know, do whatever they can, I think, on the most part, to try and protect the children. All right. Wow. Well, this has been um, quite eye-opening, and um, I think the most important thing we focus on is the solutions that, you know, are, the truth is coming out. We have plenty of people to back it up, and, it, we, you know, it needs to get to a point where... Um, we get this back into investigate congressional investigation that gets pushed through and the results are actually shared right. and criminal, you know, they get, they get charged. Well, the results of these investigations need to come out, even if it takes a complete restructuring of government because so many people are going to be imprisoned of high levels in government. If the system has to collapse slightly in order for evil to be, judged properly, then that's what it takes. Yes, it does. And I'd like to put in one plug before we leave is that if you really want to understand uh, about a ritually abused child, you read 22 Faces, and you can read the first three chapters on it by going into the website 22faces.com. And the first three chapters are in there, and it'll really give you an idea of what an abused child is like. 
because I, I start out the book as a six-year-old child going through abuse and all of the different altar formations and, and, and how they think and how they act. And I think it gives you a good background of how to recognize these children. And from there, you can try to protect them. Absolutely. We so appreciate your time with us today. And um, we will put together a presentation that has links to all the things that we talked about that you shared with us. Thank you so much for that detail. And um, we definitely want to read 22 Faces as well, just to... Um, I'm kind of glad we didn't have it read before the interview because I um, kind of want to come at this in a general way and then we could always follow up with more detail later. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's people like you that are going to break the stories out in the open. And I, I appreciate the time and the effort you put into this. Well, we appreciate the time and effort you put Absolutely. into what you've done and saving lives and all of the journalism that you've been putting out lately. Uh, very much appreciate your commitment. Yes, we have to persevere through this, regardless of how ugly these details are. Um, the only way to get solutions is to focus on it and then get into the solution. All right. Well, thank you, Judy. We are going to go ahead and wrap up for the day. And thank you. Yes, we will have uh, we will have the details up to you shortly after uh, Bobby finishes the presentation. Okay. All right. God bless you. All right. You. Take Have care, Judy. Day. Thank you. Thank you.